Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or also on YouTube, Speaking Podcast. I have four other podcasts as I am a speaking coach, podcasting coach, because I've got four in the top half percent. They're the Awakening, Learn Polish, the Meditation, and the Crypto, and everything can be found on RoyCon.com. Today, my guest, please welcome Kimberly Dakin, Dakin, Dakin. Oh, how I know are everybody you? stumbles. No, no, I was like, oh. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So you might let the listeners know who's Kimberly. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm glad to be uh, connecting with you, Roy. I've uh, taken a listen to some of your other episodes and you've got some fascinating guests. Um, and the whole the whole field of public speaking is, uh, it, it, I don't know, it garners a lot of uh, excitement for some people, opportunity, but also a lot of fear. So uh, I'm glad we're going to approach the fears that people have on public speaking today. Um, I have a theater background, and I also have been doing public speaking coaching for the better part of 20 years. I've recently undertaken a, a certification program to become certified as a mindset coach. And the reason I'm doing this is because over the years, I come to understand that there are a lot of internal saboteurs that get in people's way when they approach the whole thing about public speaking. Um, it's something that raises a lot of fears. Some people would rather have dental surgery than have to talk in public. So um, finding an interesting way to dismantle uh, that sort of terror has become uh, a good journey for me to pursue. And I'm learning lots of things. So I would say that, uh, I, I would say that you and I are gonna have a good conversation. Yeah, no, I'm interested in that because I mean the fact that you you know you've been coaching for so long and then decided you know that the, the because it is a mindset thing. I mean I had a serious fear myself, and it was only. I mean I started five years ago with Toastmasters, but the reality is it took even a year or so to kind of get past that stage. So that's too late in life to be actually worrying about. And it's all about the fear inside our heads. So. It's all mindset because I mean, I wasn't afraid of anything else. You know, things didn't fear me. I could have three guys approach me that were mafia looking. That wouldn't scare me. <laughs> Going on stage terrified me. That's right. That's right. It is. Uh, somehow our internal judge just leaps to the fore and gives us all this negative messaging about who we are and what we can do and it becomes about, oh, I, I know my hair, I'm having a terrible hair day and that's all I could think about. And I'm supposed to, you know, give this speech about this in-depth subject and I just can't do it because I know my hair is wrong. I mean, I've encountered people who, you know, go through these sorts of things. And uh, it, it's an interesting focus, I think, to talk about what gets in people's way. Like just from talking to so many people, I think it's the fear, most important is the fear of making a fool of ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I would say 
that one of the benefits of theater training is that you make a fool of yourself so often that after a while, you just become a little numb to the possibility. Um, that said, of course, I still get nervous uh, and I have ways to deal with that. But yeah, that fear of making a fool of ourselves when in fact, uh, our willingness to be vulnerable in a public forum can be incredibly compelling. You look at uh, speakers like Brene Brown, for instance, and uh, she is all about vulnerability, about being exactly who she is and speaking from that place in real time. And it's incredibly compelling. I think in Western culture, we're getting really sick and tired of slick speakers. You know, they, they seem canned, they seem formulaic, they seem predictable. And so what is compelling to many of us now, I think, is authenticity. And authenticity means every once in a while, you're gonna make a mistake. You're gonna forget something, or you know, you're gonna be on the wrong slide, <laughs> whatever. There are a million things that can go wrong, right? And that's part of the terror. So, and I, like I've met a lot of speakers, and I've had—I don't know what I call it—the privilege of actually meeting a lot of them at different events, both in Ireland and different places. Uh -huh. A lot of them, you look at them on stage, and you go, "Oh, wow, you're in all of them." But you talk about authenticity. Some of these people are not nice, and you know. <laughs> And it's like, right. is this the same guy that was on stage that I was just kind of going, wow, I wish I could be like him. I would never in a million years like to be like that person. The only thing I would like is to be actually have his skill set for speaking on stage. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And so that's what you and I are all about. Exactly. But I really try to, uh, when I'm working with people, the first premise is to find out what people's authentic strengths are as a communicator. Every, I believe everybody has them, but we focus so much on correcting what we're doing wrong that um, that focus can really hinder us. And it can trigger our internal judge and our internal saboteurs. So I try to focus on the positive, at least from the get-go before we tackle the the stuff that needs to be fixed. What what I'm noticing is lots of people that I've seen in say Toastmaster competitions or just guests that I've on, when they've done arts, they're fantastic speakers. And I wish there was more of that done in the schools because a child will, you know, they, they won't care with their friends when they're doing that, but they're really learning such a brilliant skill. Whereas and this is something that I've discussed with loads of people. What happens in most schools is they go around the class asking people to read and we're panicking. I mean, I know my brain stopped when it was about five people before me. What they said before me, I just went into panic mode. I was stuttering. I was, and I know that happened with a lot of people. And I'm convinced that had a detrimental for me for years and loads of other people, the same thing. You know, they were late to the game. And I'm sure it's the skill. Whereas if you were in school and they're like, hey, let's do arts, let's do this playlist. Like 
right. Let them make mistakes. Let them have fun. That's but they right. will be, but they will become such great communicators and speakers because of that. Because they are, they're comfortable in their own skin. You learn how to be comfortable in your own skin. And that's huge, no matter what you go into. Be, being able to communicate, being comfortable in your own skin. It's enormously important. And you're absolutely right. Arts in education, it, it's foundational. We think it's reading, writing, and arithmetic, but it's foundational to learning and growing and keeping one's curiosity alive. Um, I, you know, I live in a country in the U.S. that is cutting arts programs right, left, and center, and it's it's detrimental. Um, I believe arts programs are key to healthy psychology. Um, and our young people are suffering for lack of them. Absolutely, totally agree with you. And I know that music was cut out when I was in the school and I know that arts, I was very good at art. At 13, they cut that out. But now I, my youngest child, he's eight. They do everything, you know, like they do all the arts and crafts. I have musical instruments from, and I'm teaching them magic and everything. But <laughs> it's it's orchestrated around the world where they take that out. They, they train people to be working in corporate and to comply. And we have to, like, we can't rely on, because unfortunately, majority of people, they just hand their kids over to the school and let them do it. You have to take responsibility for your own children and make sure that they're creative, they're open-minded, and they don't actually comply with tyranny. Right. It has to be intentional on the part of parents because you can't rely on the system. The system is educating people exactly to work in corporate America or to work in factories. Western education was designed to train people to work in factories. So of course it's formulaic, a lot of it. But, um, but then, then there are the, the fabulous teachers, you know, Absolutely. who get this and understand it and, and can use the arts as a tool to get kids interested in science and math and reading and languages. Um, and those people, they're not paying them enough. They should be, they're national treasures, in my opinion. So what I'd love to see is, I know the kind of, there was things talked about rate my teacher and everything, but I have an example of when I was, I was either the top in the class or the bottom, it's just the way I am. <laughs> oh, and, I'm like, the, I'm like that in everything in life, you know, I either <laughs> like it and I'm good or it's like, eh, not for me. But I remember in history, and I think that might have affected me as well. I, I think I mentioned it on the podcast before, but I got in when I was 13, it was like going into secondary school in Ireland. And I got last in the class, I think I, had, I don't know, was it 18%? And you know, the teacher said in front of everybody, oh, my grandmother would be do better. And she's, you know, she's been dead 10 years. And I laugh at it now when it's, yeah, exactly. But then after, like, so I, I barely passed the state exam when I was 15. I got a D. The next teacher was just play acting with us. He was letting us, you know, everything with history. I got 100% constantly. Like, how can you go from one extreme to the, and in the state exam, I got an A, like the top mark. Like, you know, you're just going, but yet, there's no way of saying that teacher was a bully. He shouldn't be a teacher. And, you know, the other guy, he should get double the money because he's just fantastic. Everybody, like he, there was no one 
isolated where some teachers they go oh he's trouble and just push him to the side whereas right. other teachers they're inclusive and if they see somebody is you know they'll find somebody that can actually help them as well they're That's just right. yeah yeah they're they're creative thinkers they can think out of the box and it's not just crowd control okay. oh boy <laughs> exactly yeah this this topic is loaded for me <laughs> so, and I can tell it's loaded for you <laughs> no exactly exactly so I I want to delve into it because there's a lot of stuff that I've I've written down here but one was because I I know that you you've you've written a book yeah yeah I'm I, actually I finishing up writing a book I thought I'd written a book and then I got a publisher who told me it had to be twice as long so I'm writing a book <laughs> And what and you do not, is you just make the text a bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that'll fly. But um, they, um, yeah, they're it's headed for publication in October. Okay. And conversely, um, you would think that a, a public speaking coach would not be writing a book about listening, but that's the topic: how we listen, what we listen for and how it informs our actions going forward. So this embraces the, um, the Waldorf concept of early childhood education, um, whole body listening, head, hands, and heart listening. Um, and I've started to notice, I, I do also team experience design. Um, companies will hire me for communication skills for specific teams. And I got hired early on in my state's Department of Environmental Protection to uh, instruct their field operators in better communication skills. Now, these individuals are heavy science data geeks. They, they know everything inside and out for environmental protection. And they were having one-on-one -on -one conversations with landowners who wanted to do something or were doing something that was in violation of some environmental statute. And you can imagine the tenor of these conversations. <laughs> some of them included big dogs and some of them included guns. Um, they were having a really hard time. And I started to dig into why. Um, they were intentionally listening for opportunities to share their treasure trove of information. And I think by now we've come to understand that information does not change minds. So my whole agenda became to teach them how to listen for relationship, how to listen to build alliance which is very different. Um, you're not positioning yourself as an info source. You're positioning yourself as an ally in building that landowner's dream, right? What's underneath his wish to fill in the wetlands? You know, maybe he wants to build a playground for his grandkids, right? So if that's the dream, how can you help him do that? that does not violate code. So that's what our training became. And I, I got curious about that. It's like other professions must be tuning their ears towards 
certain kinds of information and letting other kinds of information go. So I, I put, and I started pulling together more and more trainings on it. And that's what my book is about. It's, uh, it's called Head, Hands. I, I'm not fond of the title. I'd like to find a better one. Using Head, Hands and Heart Listening and Coach Practice is what it's called now. Well, I just listening to a marketing because uh, I'm big into marketing. Your man Tim Ferriss, when he and this is going back years because he was on um, Glazer Kennedy, and he said yes. he'd done something like twelve tests online with different titles and saw which was the best one. Because right. you know we can go out and just put it out there. And I know it's a lot of work, but the reality is it's kind of a bit of work at the front end, and later on, based on the you know, the testing, it should, yeah. you know, yeah. hopefully lead to a, a lot of sales, but like listening is so important. And the, yeah. even all forms of communication, like what I find is I don't like texting because you're having a conversation and you mean something and constantly people are getting accurate. They assume something else. It's just, so I do not like that form of communication because no, I prefer to leave a voice message because they know that if I'm saying something, I'm saying it in jest or whatever, but yeah. so many times, and I know it's not just with me, it's with everybody, just with the SMS, it causes so much aggression with people. It really does, really, really does. And so all this tweeting that's going on, you know, same thing. No wonder we're getting ourselves all riled up because we don't have, we're not paying attention to the message underneath the words, precisely what you said. And that okay, is because uh, I, I i've read wrote down audiobooks so are you actually have you done previous audiobooks are you doing the audiobook for well i mean the fact that they want you to double up i presume it's not you're not doing the audiobook for that but you've done audiobooks for for other people yeah i've done about i don't know two or three dozen audiobooks Ooh. yeah I, I won an award for one of them uh it's a short story collection called runaway by Alice Munro, Canadian writer, really excellent. Um, but yeah, so voice is an interesting thing. Now, when I was when I was in theater, um, I am five foot three, and I have looked like a kid into my forties. So, some very wise person told me, you know, Kim it would be a good idea for you to develop your voice as a real fine-tuned instrument in expression. And I, I became fascinated by that because I knew that I, I have a particular love of speaking, of uh, reading out loud. And I started to dig into what it would take to do voiceover work and what it would take to do audiobooks. Uh, I did a fair amount of focus and a fair amount of work on it. And now I would say that uh, one of my marketing tools, particularly for women, is to get them to understand that their voice is one of their best assets in raising their own status in any kind of interaction. A friend of mine who did workshops with me, in-person workshops, we did a lot of, um, did a lot of training with high-powered uh, doctors, 
in sur the, the, the surger surgery. They were at the top of their game, but nobody could stand to work with them. So their hospital systems would send them to us to uh, get better. And my friend used to tell me it was so much fun to um, walk into a room with these high powered, for the most part, men who suddenly paid me no attention until I opened my mouth to say something. And then it was like, whoa, who's this? I, uh, I started to notice it after a while and I started to have a little fun with it too. So I would say that particularly for women, you know, uh, I had a client who was having to do a lot of panels panel discussions in healthcare. She was usually the youngest. She was usually the only woman. And on panel discussions, she felt like the men on the panel felt free to interrupt her, felt free to sort of talk over her, uh, felt free to repeat what she had just said as if they had just thought of it and wasn't it important. You know, it's just classic gender crap, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, so what we worked on was ways to deliver certain content in a certain tone of voice that gained attention and made clear that she was owning what she was saying. Uh, there's ways to do this with vowels and consonants in particular that are also very fun to play with and a concept that people appear to grasp pretty quickly. So that's one of the tools in my quiver. That's very interesting. And I've seen that happening, you know, there's uh, mm -hmm. nothing mm -hmm. worse. And I mean, like it happens both with men as well, when there's a younger man on the thing. But, oh, yes. And people repeat it. Like I've seen that so much in my life that you say something and somebody repeats it as if they're right. But I've got to the stage where if it's not, hard, not not on a panel, obviously, but in a business sense or whatever, yeah. like if yeah. they feel better about it and it's getting done, I didn't really care. But it's right. there's a lot of people that do that. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> so I know you've done radio as well, have you? Yes. Yeah, I was assistant creative director for uh, six radio stations a number of years ago. It was a lot of fun. And I really learned audio production. That's uh, really uh, solidified my skills. I, I got into audiobooks and, and voiceovers uh, back in the days when you could just waltz into a studio and you were only responsible for the content, um, not responsible for the editing or the direction or the production. Uh, all of that changed when everything went online. So I, um, I forced myself to learn how to do it, even though I was uh, very trepidatious about it. Um, I would commit, I would get these... Uh, audiobook commitments that I would have to produce in six months, whether or not I knew what I was doing or not. So that would force me, that commitment would force me to learn it. It was painful and it was hard and I don't recommend it. 
And it's like everything is like that. It's like learning to drive. You know, we're just panicking. The same with podcast and the editing and the whole right. everything at the start is like pure panic, and then it gets to the stage it's like you do it in your sleep. Right. But it's just what was I so afraid of? <laughs> So, like, I, I have one book written, but I was advised to kind of, because I'm exposing a lot of stuff, but I have about 10 in the pipeline that are kind of ongoing. And I know that I've had guests on and they say they don't do the audiobook. I know with my Irish accent, I don't know, will it be an advantage or a disadvantage? But have you, what tips for doing it? Because I, like somebody said, it has to be exactly as the wording. You can't kind of have your little filler words and stuff like that. Yeah, you do. You have to honor the words. Um, whether whether you think uh, you could do better or not, that's not your job. So um, I tips well. Um, I would say that you need to have a realistic sense of what you want to gain from doing audiobooks going in. Uh, for a while during the recession, doing uh, voice work was listed as one of the top easy ways for people to make money. So, of course, everyone flew there. <laughs> yeah, especially when it all went online. And so the reality of audiobooks, in my perception, is that it's pretty much the Wild West. And that if you want to produce something of quality, um, you'd be much better off finding a way to work with an independent studio other than going to ACX, which is the recording arm of Audible. Um, I've had books that I've recorded for ACX speeded up just enough so that they don't have to pay me for the entire amount of the recording. They pay by, per, by recorded hour. And the algorithm is that for each recorded hour, you put in six hours of work. Um, so when you do the math and they're paying you $100 an hour, a recorded hour, that doesn't amount to very much at all. Um, I've priced myself really high on ACX, and I don't tend to get that many invitations to submit, and I'm okay with that. But that's what it's you know. It's not a race I, to the bottom. You know, it's not. Place. It's not a race to the bottom, and, and that's exactly what's going on now. It's like they'll just get somebody who can do it fast and cheap, and the quality is all over the map. So. That's why, you know, I'll get calls every once in a while for people who want to work with me as an audio coach. And I have to tell them the reality from my point of view before I sign on with them. Well, that's first. Second, I have to, I have to really assess whether they have possibility in the business. Because, you know, again, it's all over the map. Um, and to get paid well, you have to be you know, a name. If I were Glenn Close, I wouldn't have any problem. <laughs> there it is. And like, what's strange for me, I have proofread a lot of books for people, as well as I read, I 
about 100 books a year and i am constantly spotting errors in books that have been out for 20 but my own book i had it proof i had i don't know definitely hundreds if not more because <laughs> i was reading it in my head my own words the way i would think yes. of it and i'm thinking that if i do the audio will i do the same thing it would be the same thing well what I, I have started in the book I'm writing, I've started reading passages out loud to myself because I will find what doesn't work almost immediately. I will find the typos almost immediately. And by the way, I should mention that writing a book was something I wanted to do for a very long time. And it wasn't until the pandemic when all my in-person work dried up that I finally had enough time and space to write something. And I started, uh, I started under Seth Godin's Writing and Community Program, which uh, encompasses people all over the globe now. But uh, I would highly recommend that as a, as a way to consistently write every day for only 15 minutes. And the promise is if you put in the time, that kind of time, you'll have an ebook by the end of six months. So yeah. I'm it's on my third. Consistency. People don't realize it's it. about They just complain about, I don't have time. I don't have time. And it's just like, even if you say, I'm only going to write a page a day, you have a 265 <laughs> page book at the end of the year. And you're like, that's right. You know, just and a paragraph or two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's gardening season now. So I'm having a, bit of trouble being as consistent as I'm supposed to be <laughs> so <laughs> so I know that when they were uh, digging gold years ago you'd have golden nuggets and most people would try to get them golden nuggets I think you've actually sold your golden nuggets you might tell me a bit about that <laughs> oh it's funny that's a funny segue um yeah so one of the other things that did during the pandemic um I decided to take an online class for women in producing an online product. I was curious about this. And the first thing you have to tackle if you wanna produce something online is you've gotta be very, very clear about the problem that you're trying to solve. And that can be a real challenge, but Towards the end of our sessions, I finally found a problem I wanted to solve because by then there were so many of so many meetings that I was engaged with that were online. We'd gone to Zoom and people were struggling with focus and distraction and all kinds of stuff. So it was it was hard to read the kinds of signals that you were talking about in communication you know, point of uh, tone of voice, uh, facial expression. Some people would just turn off their video completely so you can't even see who they are and, and how they really feel about things. So I thought maybe, maybe this is the problem I should focus on. Well, the guy who ran the class, Nick Rimza is his name of Tortoise Labs. He took a shine to my problem. And he talked me in to coming back for the second round. And together we developed a bookmarking app called 
nugget. Um, nugget will allow you to highlight in the transcript the most important parts of a conversation with the press of a button. So I can pay attention to what's going on in front of me rather than scribbling my notes or typing in my notes, taking down the last thing you said and missing the next thing you say. Um, we worked on this. I am not a techie, but uh, in pitch contests, the nugget lady became the one to beat. So yeah, the good news is we sold Nugget at the end of last year for a very nice price. The better news is I got a couple clients, uh, entrepreneurs uh, and techies. I got a couple of speech clients through that experience. So um, I tell that story sometimes to encourage people to take risks, to dive into the unknown, to get your feet wet and expand your horizons and your understanding. At a very least, you're gonna learn a whole lot and probably make some fabulous connections. And that was ultimately what happened. Plus, we, you know, we got a nice price for our nugget. That's that's excellent. That was good, and uh, I because I, I went into the the website and I looked. At, I, I'm assuming it's it's your voice that's on the the video that uh, they're using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. like I seen the demo, and it it is important because like staying focused, you know, and really especially when there's a story and everything. I'm like, because to be honest with you, there's plenty of times when I'm interviewing people, and they'll say something. I'm, I'm like, but I know that, okay, no, when I'm editing, I actually, I, I'll make, I, you know, if they're mentioning something that, I, oh, I definitely need to check that out, or they might mention a book, I don't have to do it, because I know I'm going to be playing it back again when I'm editing it, and then I put, they, I go, okay, and then I'll check it out, or if they mention a right. book, go away, buy the book, and everything, and it saves so much time, because you cannot, people think, yeah, I can do it, and there's other times, like, something like that could be incorporated into events as well they should give it out to people because yeah. when when you're there what happens with me like i make loads of notes and i have kind of action points yeah. but for sure you're not you're not you are definitely missing something and the other thing is if you're really trying to pay attention and you're kind of writing it half the time you can't read your own writing that's, you know? oh, that's that's me right there or i'm skipping words and i go back and i go what the heck was this and i'm glad you mentioned the recording because when you've got like a couple meetings, three or four meetings in a day, and then the time spent having to pick through the transcript for the stuff that's really important, especially if you have to collate it and send it out to other people, it's such a pain. But with Nugget, you don't have to do that. You can pick and choose the Nuggets, you can send them off to other people, whether they're subscribers or not. I was, um, I was really proud of the work we did on Nugget. No, I was like, because I never heard of anything like that. And when I saw it, I said, oh, that's smart. That's that's clever. So congratulations on that. And I'm glad you got a good price because you deserved it. So thank you. So I suppose let, let's finally just go back into the coaching because you, you you were doing coaching for kind of uh, public speaking. And that was the mindset. So you, are you going to um, you're, you're obviously going to because they're connected 
like at the end of the day but some people you know some people might need the public speaking but the mindset for other things because mindset is for everything basically if you if you're focused and you know you can you don't you know like the, the the distraction doesn't get you like and you know exactly what you want in life it is critical and i think if anything i know that going back public speaking but mindset is the other thing and i think you're you're hitting the two of them they're the most important things in life yeah they really are um and i was intrigued by this model because it's not about what happened to you when you were a kid it's not about um psychoanalysis it's not that it's more what is happening to you right now and what's getting in the way um shirzad shamin was an Iranian immigrant to the US, uh, but he was raised in the US and he was an engineer by training. But he had a lot of baggage from his childhood that kept getting in his way. He uh, put, uh, he built two really successful businesses, but nobody could stand to work with him. And finally, his board of directors did an intervention with him and said, you got to get your head on straight because this is not working and our company is going to fail. Those were the words that he finally heard. And so he put together this program. He started getting curious about what was sabotaging his efforts to be a successful leader. And he came up with nine different saboteurs which I personally find really intriguing because most of them are operating on some level in most of us. But we, if we can identify the top two or three, then we can start to figure out how to dismantle their influence. Plus, there is the internal judge, the critic, that is always the first to pounce. But the saboteurs kind of do the internal critics bidding. The other thing I like about this model is that the saboteurs are all built on strengths and good qualities. Uh, for instance, I, I'll tell you about two that I have. Actually, I may tell you about three if we have time, but yeah, we do. my primary, interesting. All right, my primary uh, saboteurs are restless, which makes me run after the next shiny whistle, you know, squirrel. I'm often running, particularly if I'm in the middle of something that has suddenly gotten boring or sluggy, or I'm, you know, I'm facing obstacle after obstacle. I'm just like, why don't I do something else? <laughs> So that's always my primary. But the second one is my hyperachiever. The message there is you are only what you manage to accomplish. So that keeps me in motion. That keeps me on the hamster wheel. That keeps me taking on too many uh, projects, saying yes to too many things, um, making myself crazy. And uh, ramping up the stress and tension in my working life and in my relationships. Um, and then there's the avoider. 
the avoider is, is interesting. The avoider doesn't like to deal with conflict and will find a way to avoid directly confronting situations that need to be confronted. Um, and I figured out that together, restless and avoider are, are sabotaging my hyperachiever. <laughs> so, so the whole circus can go on at any given moment. But um, it's, it, it starts to become interesting when you also realize there are five sage qualities that we can utilize in trying to dismantle saboteur influence. And those uh, qualities are empathy, having empathy for oneself and those around us, uh, getting curious, exploring what's going on underneath the surface. You know, why do I feel the need to check my phone right now? Oh, the conversation is getting a little uncomfortable. So maybe I can breathe, have empathy for myself and get curious about what else is going on under the surface. Then there's the innovate power. How can we address this issue in a way that will satisfy everyone who's involved? So you put time and effort and some creativity into innovation. Then there's the navigate quality. Is this really worth working on? Is this really important? What are my priorities? What will give, what will ultimately give my life meaning? And at the end of my life, will this particular project be that important? So navigate widens our perspective and lets us know, get, it lets us prioritize and strategize. I am pretty, uh, I'm pretty good with empathy and explore and innovate, but boy, navigate is tough for me. I get I can get lost in my the, lost in the trees and wipe out the big picture. So that's one that I find myself bumping up against and prioritizing and saying yes to some things, but no to a lot of other things which is, is still a struggle for me. The last one is action, the ability to take action. And I know for myself that once I can get, once I can get clear about what needs to be said, what needs to be done, once I can get past avoider and restless and their sabotaging to get clear about what needs to happen, I can take action. But clarity for me, is the struggle. So um, if people are curious about this, I would invite them to go to the positiveintelligence.com website. And then you can look, you can take a free saboteur assessment, find out what your saboteurs are. And I'm putting together some coaching circles for people who are curious about this and would like to know more. Um, six weeks, they're in half hour to 40 minute sessions. So it's not a lot of time, but <clears throat> you get an in, uh, a greater in-depth understanding of what's running you and what's shooting you in the foot. So 
I would just put that out. And you can find out more about that on my website, Kim Dakin, that's K-Y-M, D as in David, A-K-I-N as in Nancy, dot com. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, I'll make sure I put that on the links. And just on like the productivity and the conference, I mean, that's something I never have a problem, but I find so many people do. I like, if there's an issue, I like just going straight to it. But even if it's the school, right? Nobody, it's so many people, they're afraid. And I like just to just talk and you will avoid so much extra work by just saying, okay, what's the issue? Let's resolve it. What solutions have we got? Go. But most people don't like that. And just regarding productivity, what I do is I know what's the most important thing. And I put that, like everybody's got their list. So I have two different things that I do. I either have a what's done list instead of a to-do list because that can, you know, overwhelm people. And I do oh, that yeah. sometimes. But the other one is I write down, okay, like what's the most important thing? So the most important thing at the moment is the coaching business. I put that first, then the, I'm doing NFT business, that second, and then a line and then all the other stuff. And I have to do something on the two of them every day. Yes. And then because you can be busy and you can be busy again next week doing 50 podcasts and editing 50 podcasts and doing other right. stuff. And are you actually moving in the direction of what's actually most important? No. So you have to write it down and kind of, you know, focus on what you want to do. But I love it. I love that. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, I, I encourage people to, you know, what you said. So with the coaching, I think it's very interesting. So I hope a lot of people will uh, check it out with you. Good. I hope so. Thank you very much. Totally enjoyed our conversation. Oh, this was fun. I'm so glad to know about your podcast and to know about you. This has been a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. As mentioned, we're on BitChute and YouTube. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five star rating, subscribe. Really helps. Until next week, take care.